When you think of military propaganda, you probably imagine a poster of Uncle Sam pointing his finger beside the words, I want you. Or Rosie the Riveter, a woman in denim coveralls and a red and white bandana, flexing her bicep. A text bubble above her head that reads, we can do it. Or maybe you picture a television ad where soldiers in training complete an obstacle course while a deep voice narrator says, the few, the proud, the Marines. Even if you have no connection to the armed forces, you've likely seen these propaganda pieces before. They're part of the zeitgeist, instantly recognizable. But believe it or not, the military's recruiting efforts go well beyond posters and 30-second commercials. For decades, the Department of Defense has collaborated with Hollywood on some of your favorite movies and TV shows. And some believe censoring anything that makes the troops look bad. But the military's entertainment liaison office has denied peddling propaganda. In a 2018 interview, their former head, Phil Strubb, said, quote, I associate propaganda with something that is not truthful. We're not trying to brainwash people. We're out to present the clearest, truest view. But is this the full story? Or is the U.S. military, and possibly even the CIA, trying to manipulate us into believing they're always the good guys? Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify podcast. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals for free on Spotify. Today, we're examining how the U.S. Department of Defense, as well as the CIA, advises on movies and TV shows. Authorities say they're helping directors tell realistic stories about military and intelligence operations, but critics insist they're churning out propaganda. First, We'll find out what these government agencies are hoping to cut out of films and why those emissions can be dangerous. Then, we'll explore how the incredibly popular 1986 movie Top Gun changed both military and civilian culture. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X dot com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. 
bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. From the time of silent films up until the present day, War movies have generated billions of dollars at the box office. They often paint the military in a flattering light, but is that the filmmaker's choice? Or does the Pentagon censor Hollywood, forcing directors to create war propaganda? One thing we know for sure is film studios and the U.S. Department of Defense have been collaborating for nearly a century. One of the first movies they worked on together was Wings in 1927. The feature was set during World War I, and producers wanted the scenes to look as realistic as possible. So they asked the Department of Defense if they could borrow some of their most advanced fighter planes. Shockingly, the Defense Department agreed, under one condition. The Army would give creative notes on the script, and if authorities wanted to change a scene, the filmmaker had to do it. That partnership led to a more formal arrangement between Hollywood and the military's Office of War Information, or the OWI. Film directors could access expensive, sometimes never-before-seen fighter planes, shoot scenes on army bases, and have real soldiers work as extras on set. In return, the military got to make almost any change they wanted. This deal might sound similar to the one we covered last episode between the entertainment industry and the police. Producers gave up some creative control, but they were able to make films and TV shows that felt more authentic. This partnership with the military really took off in the 1940s during World War II. At the time, an estimated 90 million Americans were going to the movies every week, and President Franklin D. Roosevelt recognized that theaters were a crucial way to reach American voters. Or, as he put it, they were, quote, a necessary and beneficial part of the war effort. The head of the OWI, Elmer Davis, thought films were effective because their audiences, quote, 
do not realize they're being propagandized. He seemed to think moviegoers believed they were watching a story imagined solely by Hollywood creatives. But if they realized they were potentially sitting through a two-hour commercial paid for by the army, they might be less receptive to the messages. So, according to a 2020 CBC podcast on Hollywood and the military, Davis and his team reviewed over 1,600 film scripts during the war. They vetted each story for anything that could make the troops look bad, like battlefield losses, war crimes, or general incompetence. If Davis and his associates decided the armed forces came off poorly, the OWI refused to support the project. Without the military's backing, producers needed to figure out some other way to secure those fighter planes for their scenes or hire a bunch of extras to cast as soldiers. For the record, it was optional whether or not someone wanted to submit their screenplay to the OWI in some films, like 1979's Apocalypse Now and 1986's Platoon, moved forward without the military support. But in those cases, the creators had to find outside funding or take out loans to cover the extra production costs. Most filmmakers don't have access to that kind of cash, so Hollywood sometimes held off on greenlighting a film until the Defense Department agreed to back it. For example, in the late 80s, producer Mace Newfeld pitched a movie called The Hunt for Red October. It was about a CIA officer who foils a terror plot. Paramount Pictures liked the story, but told Newfeld they'd only make his film if his script was approved by the military. According to a 2022 documentary called Theaters of War, the Pentagon agreed to help Newfeld. The Hunt for Red October was released in 1990. Eventually, it expanded into an entire franchise built around the protagonist, Jack Ryan. The Hunt for Red October is a best-case scenario for filmmakers. The Pentagon approved it, and it was a big hit. But for every success story like Neufeld's, there were others that weren't as lucky. Take an early 90s script called Fields of Fire, for instance. The film was actually written by a Marine Corps veteran named Jim Webb. He fought in the Vietnam War and went on to serve as the Secretary of the Navy. He wrote a novel based on his experience and wanted to adapt it for the big screen. But the Defense Department refused to support the project. A spokesperson named Phil Strubb criticized the script for showing soldiers abusing drugs, burning villages, and executing prisoners. Although Strubb acknowledged these incidents occasionally happened, he instructed Webb to, quote, make substantive changes. Webb thought implementing the military's notes would betray the authenticity of his story, so he put his script aside. The film never got made, all because Webb resisted feedback that could turn his movie into propaganda. The military still vets scripts on a volunteer basis today, if you write a movie with a protagonist who's in the army, or one that features a navy battle, or shows Air Force jets zipping from continent to continent, you can submit your project to the Defense Department's Entertainment Media Office. The team will review your story. If they like it, they'll give advice on how to make your dialogue sound more realistic, let you borrow military equipment, or even let you film on an army base. 
In exchange, though, you'll have to make any changes they ask for and screen your movie for them before the public sees it. The Pentagon has gone out of its way to let content creators know it's available to help. In advertisements targeted toward Hollywood executives, the Entertainment Liaison Office boasts its, quote, the film industry's gateway to an extraordinary arsenal of aircraft, equipment, incredible personnel, and locations. Sounds like a filmmaker's dream come true. They also spread the word at trade shows, conferences, and Comic-Con. In a sea of cosplayers dressed up as Groot and Baby Yoda, you can find U.S. military officers pitching their creative services to buttoned-up film executives. Representatives from the Entertainment Liaison Office also go to military tech conferences. There, they learn about cool new equipment they can pitch to Hollywood producers. Officially, the Defense Department claims it only evaluates other people's work. It doesn't come up with any of its own movie ideas. But that wasn't always the case. In the late 2000s, the CIA had a section on its website called Now Playing. Under that header, the agency offered filmmakers storylines about declassified intelligence operations. Essentially, it was a bunch of plot lines the Defense Department had already endorsed. One was inspired by a 2007 Wired article written by a former spy. The piece described the true story of an operation to smuggle six American hostages out of Iran in 1980. If that plot sounds familiar, that's because the article was adapted into the 2012 film Argo, directed by and starring Ben Affleck. Before shooting, Affleck collaborated with the CIA on multiple drafts of the script. He even attended meetings at the agency's headquarters in Langley, Virginia. It's no wonder the agency came off looking heroic in the film, but in reality, some CIA agents considered the event to be an intelligence failure. They felt the agency should have evacuated the diplomats much earlier. Plus, the film focuses primarily on the six American envoys who were rescued during that operation, not the other 52 officials who were held hostage for over a year. The movie distorted the truth so much that one former CIA officer told The Atlantic, quote, Argo had nothing to do with reality. Despite its factual omissions, the film was great PR for the CIA. And the producers had to be happy with it too. It grossed hundreds of millions of dollars and won the Academy Award for Best Picture. As for the claims of propaganda, Argo could have been much worse. It didn't really lie so much as leave out a few key details. The movie depicted the CIA's victories while ignoring their failures. But sometimes the Defense Department goes a step further. They don't just hide inconvenient truths, they also change the facts. Like in the 2017 Nat Geo miniseries, The Long Road Home. According to Theaters of War, the Entertainment Liaison Office allowed producers to film most of the movie at Fort Hood, Texas. As promised, they had access to real soldiers and military equipment. In return, the Army insisted on one major revision. See, the series was based on a real account, detailing an incident where Iraqi rebels ambushed U.S. troops just outside of Baghdad. 
Seven American soldiers died in the tragedy, which was dubbed Black Sunday. It was one of the first events to spark widespread American backlash against the Iraq War. One of the soldiers injured in the disaster, specialist Thomas Young, became an anti-war activist. But Young's advocacy made the army look bad, so the military gave filmmakers strict notes about how they should portray his character in the series. There were only a few muted scenes of him protesting, and it's impossible to know what he's advocating for. The depiction makes Young seem like a soldier who's angry he got shot, rather than an activist with a real point to make. And while Long Road Home makes Young seem petty, it valorizes a colonel named Gary Valesky. He's depicted at the front of the lines, but that wasn't his position in real life. The flattering portrayal may have been due to the fact that he was the chief of Army Public Affairs when the script was reviewed. Long Road Home also ignores well-documented criticism that Black Sunday was a strategic blunder. In the book the series is based on, the author writes that Valesky and his colleagues not only failed to anticipate the attack, they may have provoked it. Earlier, we asked if the military was really helping Hollywood show the armed forces in the clearest, truest view. Based on the revisionist history in Argo and Long Road Home, some might get the impression that the Defense Department doesn't seem to care about accuracy, unless it's making them look good. During a panel discussion, the former Navy Chief of Information, Dennis Moynihan, was asked why certain war crimes were left out of a 2013 film. He said it was because the Defense Department was opposed to filmmakers showing every detail from the book it was based on. Moynihan said outright, the final cut reflected well on the military, could help with recruitment, and still allowed the filmmakers to tell a compelling story. So you may be thinking, all right, sure, a lot of war movies can be seen as propaganda, but if you're not a fan of the genre, you have nothing to worry about, right? If only it were that simple. See, the armed forces don't limit their feedback to films and TV shows about the military. The next time you tune into your favorite talk show or rewatch a beloved rom-com, you might also be consuming Defense Department-approved storylines. Coming up, the military's tentacles extend to every corner of pop culture. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X dot com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. 
Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. It's easy to understand why the Defense Department wants a say in war movies, but they actually advise on many other genres, even sci-fi adventure. The producers on 2001's Jurassic Park 3 asked the U.S. Air Force if they could borrow one particular fighter jet. They wanted to feature it in a scene where the characters battle a pteranodon. But when the head of the entertainment liaison office, Phil Straub, read the script, he had some concerns. First of all, the jet in question was equipped with armor-penetrating explosives and uranium that could annihilate tanks. Any dinosaur trying to fight it would die a brutal death and go from villain to victim. So instead, Strub suggested a military rescue at the end of the movie. The filmmakers revised the script so the Marines saved the protagonist, Dr. Alan Grant, and his family. Jurassic Park 3 is a prime example of how the military can work messaging into TV shows and movies that aren't even in the war genre. Even Marvel isn't safe. The armed forces consulted on WandaVision, all three Iron Man movies, the first two installments of Captain America and Captain Marvel. For Captain Marvel, which starred Brie Larson as a fighter pilot, the U.S. Air Force put together recruitment ads showcasing female pilots. Then they had them run during the movie's previews. Which, I suppose, isn't that surprising. The film features characters in the U.S. Armed Forces. But how would you feel if you learned the Defense Department also may have had a hand in some of your favorite comedies? Movies that took place far away from a battlefield. Take Meet the Parents, for example. The film stars Ben Stiller as Greg Fokker, a nurse who meets his girlfriend's parents before proposing to her. Sounds like apolitical fun, right? Only he clashes with his future father-in-law, Jack Burns, a retired CIA operative played by Robert De Niro. The producers asked the Defense Department to help make Burns seem realistic. As always, the Entertainment Liaison Office agreed to support the project as long as they made some script changes. For example, there's a scene where Greg Fokker snoops through Burns' home office. In the original script, Fokker discovers CIA torture manuals splayed across a desk. But the entertainment liaison office asked that the display be removed. So, in the final cut, Fokker finds Burns' office decorated with framed photos of the agent besides important people like President Bill Clinton. Even game shows and reality TV seem to partner with the Defense Department. The Price is Right salutes the troops with military-themed Veterans Day and Fourth of July episodes. For these tapings, producers fill the audience with active-duty soldiers and their families. Usually, a host selects random people in the crowd to be contestants, but when the episodes feature the armed forces, the military is working behind the scenes to choose the participants. It turns out, 
A lot of seemingly unscripted TV is pretty calculated. Think about any time you've seen The Ellen Show reunite a veteran with their child or spouse. The producers collaborate with the Defense Department to get the soldier off the battlefield and onto a Hollywood soundstage. Those moments tug at viewers' heartstrings and often go viral. One particularly emotional homecoming racked up 2.4 million views on TikTok. The military assists pop stars with music videos, too. The most famous one might be Katy Perry's 2012 single, Part of Me. After her character catches her boyfriend cheating on her, she comes across a bumper sticker that says, All women are created equal, then some become Marines. She immediately cuts her hair and enlists, channeling the rage from her breakup into training and combat. With the Defense Department's blessing, the music video was filmed at Camp Pendleton, a military base in Oceanside, California, which seems like a win-win, right? Katy Perry gets to make a video promoting girl power, and the Army finds a creative way to recruit young women. But that's where the Defense Department's role in Hollywood can be dangerous. When we watch movies, TV shows, or even music videos that only show a one-sided view of the military, it's easy to discount the physical and emotional cost of war. 30% of female enlistees have reported being raped, 70% have experienced sexual assault, and 91% have been subject to sexual harassment all during their enlistments. If Katy Perry truly wanted to show the challenges of being a woman in the military, the Department of Defense probably wouldn't allow her to depict those incidents. Sexual abuse is one of many deal-breakers for the entertainment media office. When we only see brave, victorious depictions of the U.S. military, like Katy Perry's video, it's easier to justify war and dismiss the devastations they cause. In the case of the Iraq War, strategies like this may have tipped public opinion in favor of a conflict the nation may not have wanted ordinarily. After the September 11th attacks, a Gallup poll found 53% of Americans supported an invasion of Iraq. That thin margin was enough to prompt representatives to authorize military force. Since then, the Iraq War has been one of the deadliest in American history. To date, the invasion has killed or severely wounded tens of thousands of American soldiers and over a million Iraqis. Many veterans returned home with debilitating mental health conditions, including post-traumatic stress disorder. One survey of enlistees who served between 2017 and 2022 found 76% of soldiers had been diagnosed with the condition. But don't expect to see that portrayed in a war movie anytime soon, even if that is the clearest, truest view of what it's like to serve. Instead, we're much more likely to see movie stars making it sexy to wear a uniform and fight the so-called bad guys. That's a winning formula, especially when it comes to the 1986 version of Top Gun. Even if you've never seen the film, you've felt its cultural impact. You've seen the posters of Tom Cruise in sunglasses and a bomber jacket looking impossibly cool. You've probably spotted clips of the famous shirtless volleyball scene. You may even know the main character goes by the nickname Maverick, which was used in the subtitle of its sequel. 
The original movie grossed over $350 million at the box office and left audiences buzzing. Perhaps more importantly, it changed the way the Navy approached its recruitment process. Coming up, how Top Gun drove the military's partnership with Hollywood to new heights. Now back to the story. 1986's Top Gun follows the Navy's elite fighter pilots as they compete to earn the top rank in the academy. It features several scenes of fighter jets zipping through the sky, doing stunts and crashing, which are wildly expensive to film, unless you have the military's support. Fortunately for Top Gun, the Defense Department pitched in. According to producer Jerry Bruckheimer, if the Pentagon didn't offer its help, he never could have afforded to make the movie he wanted. The Entertainment Liaison Office allowed the production to use naval bases as filming locations, combat equipment as props, and actual soldiers as extras. According to Canadian news magazine McLean's, Paramount Pictures reportedly paid only $1.1 million to borrow warplanes and an aircraft carrier. While we can't say what the figure would have been without their discount, we imagine it was much cheaper than if it had to secure and insure them on its own. All the Pentagon asked for in exchange was for the filmmakers to change any scenes they didn't like. For example, author David L. Robb found that in the original script, Maverick's love interest, Charlie, was a fellow soldier. But the Navy prohibits relationships between officers and their subordinates. So Charlie's character was changed to an astrophysicist and civilian Top Gun instructor. And of course, the final cut made the military look pretty cool. Or as film critic Alyssa Wilkinson described it, Top Gun showed a, quote, sexy, exciting perspective on the pilot's life. Mainstream audiences found the movie so captivating that Top Gun earned over $350 million at the box office, making it the highest-grossing film of 1986. Many ticket buyers were young men, so enlisting in the Navy probably looked pretty appealing by the end of its runtime. The military had a feeling that might happen, so they took advantage of it. Recruiters set up booths outside of theaters and answered moviegoers' questions about F-14 warplanes. We don't know how many people enlisted because of Top Gun, but the year after its release, Navy pilot applications reportedly rose by 500%. Among applicants in Arizona and Southern California, about 9 in 10 claimed to have seen the movie. That doesn't mean Top Gun suddenly made a bunch of anti-war civilians want to join the armed forces. But the Navy recruiter for the region thought the film may have been a tipping point for folks, especially those who'd already been thinking about enlisting. After Top Gun's success, Hollywood felt far more comfortable collaborating with the Pentagon. Four years after its release, the Defense Department claimed it was reviewing and approving four times as many scripts. Many of these projects were aimed at young men. But Top Gun also served as an example of how the military's hand in Hollywood could backfire. In September 1991, 140 Navy and Marine Corps officers were accused of sexually assaulting 83 women and seven men during a conference in Las Vegas. 
The incident was known as the tailhook scandal, and investigators later placed some of the blame on what they called a Top Gun mentality. In their official report, they wrote that the film gave junior officers false expectations about their job and, quote, glorified naval pilots in the eyes of many young women. Even the movie's star, Tom Cruise, later said it would be irresponsible to make another Top Gun film. He went out of his way to downplay the movie's authenticity, calling it a, quote, fairy tale. Of course, Tom Cruise ultimately went on to star in the sequel, Top Gun Maverick, but that wasn't released until 2022, 36 years after the original. Once again, the Defense Department consulted on the movie, but according to Navy Captain J.J. Yank Cummings, he asked the filmmakers not to include any romantic relationships within the flight academy. The note would help avoid the Top Gun mentality allegedly behind the tailhook scandal. Cummings also asked that any locker room scenes be omitted, claiming, quote, there are no post-flight locker room interactions in naval aviation. But his most revealing statement came when a GQ reporter asked what Cummings hoped to see from Top Gun Maverick. The Navy captain said, quote, I hope folks recognize that your country is always hiring. We have good people and we put them in these very challenging jobs and give them a life that is rewarding, challenging, and relevant. Sounds like he's describing a recruitment ad, like Uncle Sam saying, I want you to join the army. But it shouldn't have felt that way for any of these films or TV shows. You know why? Because it was actually illegal for the U.S. government to release this kind of domestic propaganda, and had been since World War II ended. We won't bore you with the legal details, but here was the gist. The U.S. was only allowed to broadcast propaganda to foreign audiences, not to its own citizens. Even the Department of Defense had a policy against what it called a selective benefit. This meant the organization had to refuse endorsing any specific ideology or commercial enterprise. In fact, that law still stands today. So you may be wondering, how on earth were they doing all this and getting away with it? If authorities won't hold them accountable, then maybe film studios should be more transparent. They could signal to moviegoers at the beginning of a film that what they're about to see was screened and revised by the U.S. military. The Federal Communications Commission already requires that kind of disclaimer in commercials and has since the 1930s. They're called sponsorship identification rules, and they request broadcasters to disclose anyone who's paid for what you're watching on TV. That's why you'll often hear the phrase, this program is brought to you by. But there's little incentive for the Defense Department or Hollywood to adopt that practice. People may be less willing to buy a movie ticket if they knew the military had a hand in the production. In the meantime, you can reasonably assume the Defense Department was involved in any major movie or TV show that depicts the troops or American intelligence. It's just like how most cop shows consult with former or active duty law enforcement officers. Hollywood doesn't seem to mind collaborating with the authorities. As long as their films make money at the box office or score high ratings, producers seem happy, even if they deal with some censorship here and there. But the Pentagon and Hollywood won't tell you that. 
it's up to the audience to remember that what they're watching may not, in fact, be the clearest, truest view. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify podcasts for free on Spotify. We're here with a new episode every Wednesday. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify podcast. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production and Spencer Howard as our post-production supervisor. Quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Ryan O'Leary-Jones is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Ben Hanani, edited by Angela Jorgensen and Lori Marinelli, fact-checked by Haley Milliken, researched by Brian Petrus, produced by Bruce Kotovich, with recording and sound design by Juan Borda. Our hosts are Molly Brandenburg and me, Carter Roy. 